I'm James Briarton in Charlotte. What you're about to hear is a replay of our live Tropical Stormy Delia coverage from Wednesday night. It's streamed at 9 p.m. alongside our friends from WCNC Charlotte. You'll hear first the voices of Brad Panovich, the chief meteorologist, alongside meteorologist Brittany Van Voorhees, featuring reports from our own Jared Smith in Charleston, Dan Whitaker in Myrtle Beach, and storm chaser Chris Jackson. Take a listen. Hey everybody, uh, Chief Meteorologist Brad Panovich here, Brittany Van Voorhees. Welcome. We're talking about what is now Tropical Storm Edelia behind you. You can see it. Um, good news for us, Brittany. We have not seen much impact at all. In fact, just some light rain. Now, I think we were joking earlier that some of the thunderstorms we had earlier in the week were stronger than these rain bands. And we haven't seen any lightning, but at the coast, it's been a completely different story. Yeah, I feel like the uh, seven-day rainfall outlook from the other day did a pretty good job. Yeah. That we kind of got like three to five, I feel like, for most of the area. I mean, mountains even less. The mountains are like a hurricane. Like, where is that? Yeah, um, they have uh, not seen anything. And let me just throw up the, the latest stats here so we kind of have an idea um, on where it's at. So down to 65 miles per hour. And I, I say I hate saying that word downgraded because, you know, it's lost 10 miles per hour. But the surge we saw in Charleston was certainly nothing that we would call a downgrade. Yeah, I mean, top five surge numbers yeah. you know, for Charleston, uh, portions of Myrtle Beach, things like that. Yeah, and you always hate using the word downgraded too when a storm makes landfall as essentially you know, yeah. category four right on the border there. But at least it's lesser impact. So yeah. you can say this will have lesser impacts here and as it pulls away, it will have some at least positive outlook on our local forecast. Yeah, the good news is unlike last night, which, you know, I just, you know, I saw a lot of meteor tweeting this and I felt the same way. You had a pit in the bottom of your stomach because you saw this rapid intensification. And it did. I kept getting up in the middle of the night, checking my phone to see how strong it was. When I saw it jump up to 130, I was like, oh, no. Um, and that was just a horrible sight. The, the key stat here to me is the northeast movement, 21 miles per hour. It is hauling, which is good news for us because it's going to be long gone um, by tomorrow morning. But a lot of the damage we've seen in the Carolinas has been on the coast. It's been storm surge. In the Charleston area in particular, um, a lot of water down there. In fact, Folly Beach, Edisto Beach, um, downtown Charleston, all seeing widespread inundation from a combination of Tropical Storm Edelia and also the King Tides, which is the astronomical uh, full moon tides, and a little bit of you know push from swells from Franklin, which are off the East Coast. Yeah, I thought you also made a good point about this earlier today. I was uh, saw this post is that you know the storm's been racing. It seems like the whole time it's kind of been going. And yeah. a lot of times when you have like a slow moving major hurricane that's making landfall, it spends a little bit more time over land as yeah. the storm is moving, so the winds kind of drop a little bit quicker. So. It's not that to say that a tropical storm of 65 mile per hour wind still can't have major impact, but probably if Idalia was like moving a little bit slower, yeah. the wind speeds might be even a little bit lower. Oh yeah, at this if you point, cut but the speed in half, you know, yeah. it would probably still be in southern Georgia right yeah. now, and it would still be over land. Mm -hmm. The problem with it moving so quickly, a lot of the circulation got back over water. Now, even though the center isn't over water, these tropical systems, you have enough of the rain band staying over warm water, it can still feed latent heat into the storm. So. Um, that has certainly been, you know, something we've been watching. And, and folks in the Carolinas know about these fast-moving, rapidly intensifying storms. Um, the, the benchmark storm here is Hugo. And the reason it was such a devastating storm was as it approached Charleston, it was rapidly intensifying and it was moving like 30 miles per hour. So it brought that surge into the coastal Carolinas, but then it was moving so fast that it didn't have time to weaken. By the time it got to Charlotte, it was still a Category 1. So, I mean, that's kind of what happened here, kind of in the, on the golf side. But speaking of Charleston, um, I know, James, if we have Jared Smith down there in Charleston, 
um, South Carolina. He uh, he lives in Charleston. He's been tweeting up a storm down there with his Charleston weather account. Um, Jared, just tell us a little about the surge. I mean, I think you're kind of old hat to the flooding down there, but how would you put this storm in perspective with some of the recent flood events you've seen down in the area? Well, I mean, the first thing I thought was Irma, and Irma was a tropical storm that got to 9.92 feet in the harbor. And that was just behind the 1940 hurricane and Hugo. So first, it was a really good wake up call to everybody that just because it's a tropical storm does not mean it cannot push water. And and as we have seen this evening, we have pushed it. I mean, we got very close to Matthew. Uh, we were just 0.06 feet away from Matthew. So Matthew was 9.29. This was 9.23. I mean, we were very close to Matthew. So I think it's a just another, you know, a, a good lesson for everybody that storm surge it does it does not have to be a massive storm to cause a problem i mean we have islands cut off we have you know numerous roads flooded downtown and that's without any rain on top i mean the rain bands have been pretty much i wouldn't say non-existent but much quieter than they were earlier so yeah this was a this was a really gnarly night i i have to say it it was you know again this is only the fifth time and these records go back to 1921. Wow. This is only the fifth time that we've breached nine feet in the harbor. Yeah. And since that, those records. And, you know, a lot of folks uh, in the Carolina, I think Charleston's one of those iconic cities. Everybody is familiar with the battery and downtown and the, and the market. Um, you know, talk a little bit about where the worst water is for people that might know some of the landmarks there in Charleston, where, you know, we typically see a lot of water there on. Uh, Market Street, obviously, but where are you seeing water this go around that you, people may not used to be seeing water? You know, it's it, it was interesting because I actually saw a photo of Market Street and it was like, wow, that actually doesn't look that bad. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, there's been a lot of drainage work that has happened here over the years and, uh, you know, check valves and things like that. And so some spots that would be normally much worse have actually been better. Uh, the market recently had work done down there and it looks like for the most part, it was okay. Certainly still, you know, reasonably impassable, closed off, but I have seen, I've seen water come into the city market there and it, we were not in that situation. Even in prior just King Tide events that had gotten so kind of close at times. And so that was good, honestly, but you know, Areas around, you know, Lockwood Boulevard, around the Joe Riley Stadium, uh, the typical spots, you know, had a lot of issues. Uh, the good news is, is that we did not see the big rains on top. And if we had that, then I think this would have been a much different, you know, much different scenario. Because if we had the big rains on top within about an hour or so, of that tide, that would have been a lot honestly, just so much worse. Uh, but I saw photos of uh, docks being overtopped on James Island, which is, you know, just to the um, just to the southwest of downtown on the other side of the harbor. Um, you know, again, Edisto Beach, they have they just take it on the chin, it seems like every time these days. Uh, so really, it, you know, it, it was interesting. It seems like every event is different. And this was no exception. Yeah, I think it's um... You're right. It's 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 weird to see this much surge from a storm that kind of came in from the Gulf side. <laughs> you know, you've seen some coming up from Florida, 
like on the east side. You know, Irma was a good example. Where it came through the west side, but it came up through Florida, kind of came up through the middle. Um, I remember Matthew distinctly because that was such a sprawling big storm and you knew it was going to push a lot of water. And to have something like this, just a different angle and a smaller circulation create similar surge really goes to show you that every storm is different, but you can't take them lightly. And we should tell you, you know, the, the, the categories have nothing to do with surge and rainfall. It's probably the biggest pet peeve a lot of meteorologists have is when you hear category one, two, three, four, that's just wind speed. That's the only thing taken into account. And unfortunately, from a communication standpoint, it's really difficult, Brittany, to tell people, oh, it's, it's a tropical storm or a category one. But as we've seen, some of those have been the most damaging storms from the storm surge and inland rainfall. Yeah, I mean, you said it earlier in the stream, but I mean, this one was a combination of the hurricane. It was also a combination of Franklin offshore that was already producing a moderate rip current risk yeah. over the weekend along the Carolina coast. It was the astronomical, you know, high tides happening at essentially the same exact time that the worst surge was coming inland for Charleston, places like Myrtle Beach. Yeah. I also think that Jared brought up a good point. He was saying how Market Street recently had drainage yeah. work. You know, when you have storms like this, and I think a lot of times, too, when you live on the coast, whether it's the Carolinas or Florida, uh, you're kind of... Sometimes people have that perspective of like, oh, it's going to happen. Yeah. But it's like, well, let's take what we've learned, like lessons from these storms and let's do drainage work. Let's yeah. do beach, you know, beach renourishment, things like that. And it can have a big impact when those things are done when you see that next storm. So it's not always like a situation where you're just like, oh, well, it's going to happen. So yeah. we're just going to like let it happen. So some mitigation factors yeah. are coming in. You know, we talked about astronomical um, high tides. Today was uh, the, the blue moon, right? Okay, it's not blue, right? <laughs> so blue, I, I was reading some research on this. You know, they, they think that there was a blue moon that occurred like in the 1800s. And a blue moon is a second full moon in a calendar month. Though if you're a purist, it should be the, the, uh, the fourth full moon in a season. That's mm. what a lot of the purists say. But we've kind of adapted it to the second in a calendar month. But there was a, a, a second full moon in a calendar month back in the 1800s and there was a volcanic eruption and the volcanic ash was in the sky and it made the full moon look blue. So that blue or that blue moon was actually called for that reason, but they're never the color blue. Um, they just had that name. What was interesting tonight was at 804, it rose and it was also a perigee moon. Now that's the technical term for a supermoon. Supermoon is a made up term, by the way. Um, <laughs> I'll just throw my rant on that. Um, it's called a perigee moon. Um, the moon has an orbit around the Earth that's elliptical, so it's not a perfect circle. So at certain times, the moon is actually closer to the Earth than in other parts. And the moon is a big gravitational pull. It's what causes the water to come up in a tide. Um, and this is what we call an astronomical high tide or king tide. And that happened tonight at the same time. I mean, high tide was at 824 in Charleston. And the center of the storm moved over like 830. Yeah. So just bad timing. So I just want to tell you that that's what that is. Now, a lot of folks are asking me if you're going to be able to see this moon tonight. Probably not until morning if it's if the skies clear out. You have yeah. to wait till tomorrow. It'll still look full. It technically was full at 935 when we started this stream. So um, so technically right now, I wish it was out there. You could see it at 100 percent. Yeah. So speaking of our local forecast, we're still going to be a little bit cloudy overnight, which yeah. of course is why Brad's saying that you're probably going to have a tough time seeing it. But honestly, the Charlotte area really, like we mentioned at the top of the stream, hasn't gotten the worst. You can still see some of those inland communities in the Carolinas. This gives me Matthew vibes only because Brad, because Oh, yeah. you know, it was all those inland communities like yeah, and just the South shape Carolina. of it too remember yeah. it had basically no rain on the south side mm -hmm. but what happened to matthew it got to this configuration and it just 
stopped <laughs> and we saw these heavy rain bands and there's there's been some big heavy rain bands in in the in the myrtle beach area and those might have tornadoes in them. those are the ones you always worry about for tornadic cells and speaking of the myrtle beach area we want to bring in another guest because dan whitaker is in myrtle beach but he didn't start the day in myrtle beach he actually has chased this storm all the way from florida back up here into south carolina um, and Dan is actually in Myrtle Beach right now, where we're starting to see that one rain band move through. Um, Dan, I know we were talking earlier, um, it's been a long day for you, but what are you seeing now? Hey, so um, basically what I'm looking at now here is, uh, I'm in Myrtle Beach. I've kind of got a, uh, a good view of the ocean here, and I'm just seeing a really, really choppy ocean. We got some pretty good um, wind gusts coming through, some blowing rain. Uh, you can kind of hear the howling going between the uh, buildings over here in Myrtle Beach. So uh, it's definitely storms on everybody's mind out here. That's for sure. So talk a little bit about the start of this storm. Where did you first intercept this storm and what was the worst weather or worst part of the storm that you've seen today? So uh, I started out this morning um, in Perry, Florida, which was uh, basically the coastal landfall portion of where where Idalia came in um, and it, it was an interesting impact. I didn't see a whole lot of flooding uh, where I was and kind of throughout my drive back to the Carolinas. But what I did see was a ton of wind damage um, and the wind speeds were, were very incredible kind of being there in the eye wall. Uh, specifically lots of trees down, lots and lots of uh, damage to buildings, roofs flying off uh, of buildings, you know, or, trees on buildings um, and pretty much impassable roads all over the place due to power lines down, trees down. Um, so immediately people were out there trying to move trees, make the roads uh, uh, working again. And uh, it took a little while for everybody, I think, to kind of get out of there. Yeah, so I'm bringing up the radar from Perry this morning. I'm looking at the, the landfall. Man, you were in that Western eyewall. I mean, that had to be almost like tornado type winds in there. Um, how far into Georgia did you see that kind of wind damage? Um, pretty much all the way up until the state line. Uh, there was wind damage all the way, uh, all the way up to uh, Jacksonville, Florida. And then as we kind of continued up north from Jacksonville, it seemed to get less and less. And we started to finally see a lot more places with power on and no trees down. Um, but yeah, pretty much uh, all of northern Florida is as far as I could tell, had a lot of wind damage. Yeah, I know you do. You chase a lot of tornadoes too. I don't know if you ever attempted to chase a, a, a tornado in in a tropical system. They're kind of difficult. They're fast moving, and they're really difficult to see. But did you did you see any um, wall clouds or funnel clouds or tornadoes today in this chase? I um, saw some uh, potential wall clouds and definitely some some really good good uh, some lowering <laughs> bases. That was as I made my way back into uh, South Carolina um you know kind of caught one of those outer bands that was just separated uh there's tornado warnings going off on them and i was able to get to one of those cells and kind of see it and get a good view of it um and even now with uh some storms coming into myrtle beach uh, i'm seeing lightning flashes wow. which is uh an unusual sight for today of uh, the only time i've seen that so far today is in storms that ended up going tornado warned or had a lot of rotation so curious to see what this brings about but uh definitely seems like something's amping up here at myrtle beach right now yeah. 
Well, thanks, Dan. I hope you're getting some sleep tonight. Uh, well, how was the gas situation down there, by the way? Um, the station's out of gas. Was there was there issues getting any when you're driving down there? So uh, I think because of the kind of the shorter uh, period for this storm to ramp up and, and you know, the shorter kind of uh, uh, preparation period that we had, I think a lot of the gas stations didn't sell out, but they did wrap up all their tanks last night. Um, so pretty much the cutoff that I saw was about eight o'clock last night at all the gas stations in Florida that I passed and I uh, didn't see any open until I got back into about Southern Georgia or Northern Florida today. So wow. uh, they're probably going to open them back up uh, just due to power and whatnot. But as far as the gas supply, I didn't see any issues with the places actually being out of gas. Mm. So. Oh, that's good. Yeah. That's you make a good point, Brad, about the tornadoes. I was just thinking about that. You know, you said, you asked Dan about, you know, being able to see them and stuff. You know, people oftentimes forget that the tornadoes within these uh, tropical systems are really rain-wrapped. They're yeah. usually really weak, EF0, EF1. So sometimes you get a storm like you were talking about with the squall myrtle, and it's, I mean, it pops up just like that. And as soon as it pops up, it kind of starts to go back down. Yeah, forecasting them, you know, there's a whole different technique when you're using radar data um, in these. The, the kind of couplets you look for in a tropical system would... On a no, normal severe weather day, you wouldn't even <laughs> bother looking at. But, You'd ignore them. Um, but yeah, let's. I wanted to share the radar because Dan was referencing. He was in Perry, so this was at 8:13 a.m., and that was the eye wall. So he was in that eye wall uh, this morning, and now he's all the way up in Myrtle Beach. Let me widen this out. This is an 18-hour loop. This will kind of give you a perspective how fast this storm was moving. It was a Category Four at 1.30, went through an eyewall replacement, which means the eyewall, the bigger one shrank and a new one was forming. That briefly weakened it to 125. And now 18 hours later, here it is. I think it's roughly, if I had to pause this, let's let it go all the way through and I'll pause it. It looks like it's over Florence, maybe, South Carolina. Pretty close to Florence, maybe Orangeburg. I, you know, I'd give it, let's, let's pause it there, I'll zoom in. It's hard to tell where the center, nah, it's, it's south, it's more like east of Orangeburg somewhere in here mm -hmm. the center so it's more some you know orangeburg to georgetown it's hard to tell where the center is but that band where dan is um pretty strong little band moving through there um i believe chris jackson one of our storm chasers is out there driving. we don't exactly know where chris is <laughs> but we've got some driving shots of chris um he's out there probably trying to keep an eye on the leading edge of this as well um wherever he's at it's raining um, the wind doesn't look too bad. Chris has been chasing a lot today. You've probably seen some of the previous streams we've done with Chris um, as well. Pretty active storm chaser. He goes all over the country, um, but he is based here in South Carolina. Um, he might even be just driving home <laughs> by, at this point. Who knows? You know, you, you're chasing all day. Your adrenaline uh, about this time starts to wane a little bit. Um, you know, what's interesting about this storm is, you know, it, it, was very well forecast. And I know I don't want to pat ourselves on the back because all the meteorologists at the Hurricane Center did a great job. But I am somewhat interested in the fact that we've gotten much better at the forecast track, but this storm in particular, Brittany, the rapid intensification. Okay, one of the downfalls of forecasting tropical systems is we're really good at the track. We frankly aren't really good at intensity. But in this case, they were able to use some new modeling and some new data to say, hey, this is gonna go through rapid intensification which is kind of like calling your shot, um, which is a difficult thing to do. And it actually verified. I mean, to me, that was the most impressive thing from the forecasting standpoint. Yeah, it's hard to say when you have, you know, Invest 93L, you know, on yeah. Saturday, and now it's Wednesday morning and it's making landfall as a category, as almost a category yeah. for hurricane, essentially. Um, I thought this was an interesting 
kind of from like a weather and climate perspective, yeah. since we've talked a lot about the warm ocean waters yeah. and the fact that there haven't been any other systems in the Gulf of Mexico. Because I mean, some of the water temperatures I was looking over the weekend were, I mean, near landfall, we're in the upper 80s, lower 90s, yeah. which I mean, all you need is 80 degrees. And then we had the moderate wind shear. So it was kind of like the moderate wind shear most likely isn't going to be enough to completely keep yeah. this thing from strengthening. But the fact that it went from Saturday being an invest to a category four hurricane. Um, over the weekend, I was kind of comparing the rapid intensification cycle to Michael in 2018, yeah. just to kind of give people perspective. Because I mean, within less than five days, yeah, and invest it, to oh, category four. And you hate when these things are, are you know ramping up right before landfall. So uh, Chris Jackson's feed there is off to the right of the screen. I think we have Chris now on the line. Uh, Chris is Brad. Can you hear me? And can you tell us yes, sir. where you are right now? <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually at the end of I-26 right here on the north side of the Charleston Peninsula. Okay. Down here uh, just just across the Ashley River from Jared over in West Ashley. Ah, so you're heading back through all of that heavy rain was. <laughs> well, I, actually, I'm just now getting down here. I was in Columbia. I, uh, I opted out of chasing the hurricane as it made landfall in Florida just because of the infrastructure down there. Yeah. And uh, I, I got some prior commitments on th this weekend that I couldn't miss that involved some uh, and uh, flight on Friday morning. And I was really concerned about that. So I stayed at home. But, you know, I drove down through the, the I guess, the northwestern side of this thing, uh, right through Orangeburg, down through I-26 to I-95 interchange. And uh, it got pretty spicy down through there for a few minutes. There was some solid, you know, 40 plus nine hour gusts. And uh, a ton of rain, but thankfully, you know, didn't see any accidents. Not a lot of people on the roads. A lot of people are heeding the heeding all the warnings and stuff, and just kind of staying home. Yeah, I was just going to say that. Um, I know where you're at now because I, I go to Charleston quite often. My wife's down there, but there's nobody on the road. That's actually yeah pretty quiet down there. That's a good sign, actually. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I'm just uh, going around. Uh, I see I see what's going on at Folly Beach. I'm seeing some stuff on Twitter. Uh, with uh, a bunch of flooding out on Folly. And I'm sure they may have the road out here closed, but I'm going to try to get out there if, you know, as quick as I possibly can because uh, shoot some video and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and did you, I was going to ask you this too. I asked, uh, you know, um, Dan this. You didn't do any uh, tornado chasing today with any of those bands, did you? <laughs> well, no, I was thinking about it. Uh, I was thinking about it yesterday because, uh, you know, given the, the heat that we've had and, you know, all the instability, the moisture at the surface coming right off the coast. I knew there would be, you know, plenty of instability, plenty of moisture for tornadoes. But, you know, I, I've got up this morning. I just got to looking at the radar and the rain shield. And, and there was so much dry air wrapping in around the system. I, I knew that would help it, but it would, could also hurt it. And I just passed on it. Yeah. Um, you know, all in all, there for you know, for a landfalling system, there really wasn't as many as you would expect because typically the ones that come up through the Gulf in our area, we tend to get a lot of tornadoes from. Um, and so this is, I haven't really, I've, except for the one in Charleston, I saw that brief spin up, which was caught on camera, which was insane. Um, somebody's dash cam. <laughs> um, that was the yeah, only that, one I really saw. That, that. That's that, yeah, it was. That tornado was uh, was in, incredible, you know, just to be such a s small vortex and yeah. to have the vertical lifting power to pick that car up. Yeah, literally between cars. It grabbed one car and the other cars were basically untouched. And um, it is crazy to see how quick those spin up like that. But that was an impressive video. Um, so, yeah, if you get out towards Folly and you see something, let us know. It looks like um, at least you will have no traffic to compete with out there. Um, Chris, thanks. Thanks for joining us uh, as he's down there in the Charleston area. I'm going to head over to Folly Beach area. The storm is flying. It is really racing to the northeast. The one thing I notice 
offshore, and, and Dan alluded to this, there is some lightning now offshore with some of these bands. And for eastern North Carolina, this is what we'll have to watch. We might get some nighttime tornadoes coming ashore. Mm -hmm. I was just looking at some of the radar data over here at some of these bands offshore. And there's quite a few spinning. Um, there's definitely some spinning storms out there yeah. southeast of Wilmington. Those cells right there, um, all of those with the lightning are producing some rotation right now. And it's interesting, it's partially it looks like because you know some of those storms, you know, still staying over the open water because kind of just like the Gulf, we were just talking about the West Coast, you know, in the Atlantic yeah. hasn't, you know, hasn't really seen a lot of activity. So the warm ocean waters are still there a lot. You know, we talk about this a little bit when we talk about tropical systems. And of course, I feel like it's always, you know, something that's in the media, but difference between kind of like weather and climate and how that yeah. can change. Um, Climate change is not necessarily producing more storms. It's just that the storms themselves are getting more intense because of you know a multitude of reasons. You have the warm ocean waters in the Gulf of Mexico, the Atlantic, and also just the fact that warm water and warm air can hold yeah. more moisture. So even if the storm itself is you know the same level as you know a storm 50 years ago, it's just more moisture can produce heavier rain. You know it can rapidly intensify a little bit quicker. So I feel like that's one of the reasons too why the rapid intensification, I guess. Um, term has maybe, not that it didn't always exist, but have been talked about a little bit more in recent years. So we're not trying to allude to the fact <laughs> that there's more storms. It's just that we're seeing a correlation between more intense storms. Yeah, and you certainly, you know, that was the warm water this year, this, this you know, ocean heat wave that we're seeing, not only in the Gulf, but I mean, all over the world, it's crazy. And that was the concern this season. In El Nino season, where you typically have more wind shear, less instability, you tend to see less storms. The problem this year, the water's so warm that if one of these storms like this gets into just a small pocket where there's no wind shear, it's gonna go from zero to 60. In this case, you know, went from like 40 miles per hour to 130 miles per hour in about a 36 hour period. So that's a concern. And it's not like that water's cooling off anytime soon. So the rest of the season, we need to watch. I did wanna uh, quickly kind of address something because I got asked a lot about this. And, uh, oh, is uh, it the loop? Yeah. The loop, so <laughs> I'm putting that in air quotes. It, it's, it's funny because, um, I get asked, like, people thought we were, like, hiding something. Like, why aren't you talking about it looping back? Because it wasn't going to happen. <laughs> um, the thing is about looking at this data, and I, I think in one of my vlogs I talked about this, there were a couple of the spaghetti plots, including the GFS, which is one of our major models, that showed kind of like a loop, it, like it was going to aim back. But what you got to understand about this modeling, when you see that, it doesn't necessarily mean that's where it's going. It just means there was other models swirling this way and this way. That was the guidance telling you that the current, the, the steering currents are weak. So what happens is when the models all scatter like that, that's, that's, the, that's the model telling you the atmosphere here has no steering currents. Mm -hmm. So it didn't necessarily mean it was coming back this way. It just meant it really could move anywhere because there was no steering currents. And then uh, obviously next couple of days, everything's out to sea. And also notice the wind speeds here, all staying near 50 miles per hour. Yeah, that indicates a weak system. Yeah. Obviously, they even if it were to do something, it'd probably get ripped apart. Um, but yeah, weak steering currents. I mean, tropical systems are essentially like that little ball of energy just yeah. hanging out. They need something to pick them up and move them, whether that's a front, you know, whether or not that's, you know, another hurricane. And that's actually like depicted that. here because you see the movement. You know, here's like three time periods here, but then there's one, two, three, four, five where it basically is not moving all that much. So over Friday to Sunday, it might only move a couple hundred miles here as opposed to moving like four or 500 miles. So that it's not looping back, it's not getting stronger. It's also not gonna interact with Franklin. Franklin is like gone. Yeah. Um, all the way up toward you know, UK. when you see the tracks overlaying each other, you gotta remember this is a five day track. This is where the storm will be in five days. 
if it was over the right now where Franklin is, that's where Franklin is right now. In five days, Franklin's going to be up there, so it won't be in the same spot. So it's all about the time scale. But yeah, I did want to address that because I got asked a bazillion times about it looping back, and that is just not going to happen. Mm -hmm. uh, we don't have to worry about it looping back. Now, another storm might be a different story. You know, out in the, in the tropics, we might see another one mm -hmm. um, develop. So I wanted to just quickly show the future cast here because this is what I'm excited for. <laughs> the fact that we're going to get this storm out of here, um, I got to delete my loops here, <laughs> moves out, and we've got a cold front moving through. And tomorrow is for us, the last day of summer. It's the last day of meteorological, climatological summer, and I love it. We're actually gonna have a cold front, Brittany. I'm actually really <laughs> upset about this because I'm going out of town this week. I have, a wedding, I have a wedding this week in Alabama, so I'm missing out on oh. great weather. But I will say, I'm happy for the viewers out there who are going <laughs> to get these nice temperatures in the 50s with low humidity. Yeah. And for people who always ask us why astronomical and meteorological summer is different yeah. you know, between the two, Record keeping. Yeah, it's record keeping. And the way it works is, and we've done this forever, by the way, this isn't something new. You may have just heard about it, but uh, the way you take climate records, you take the three warmest months, calendar months, which is June, July, August, that's summer. You take the three coldest calendar months, which is December, January, February, that's winter. And then the other three months in between become summer, fall. Spring and, and fall. Yeah. So, and that's basically it. And the nice thing about that is you always have the exact same number of days for data comparison. Mm -hmm. If we were to use the equinox and the solstices, the problem with that is, remember, it's like a half day. Yeah. And some, some days it's like the 20th, some it, days it's yeah, the 21st. You would have one season with an extra day and it just, it would not make record keeping very useful. And actually the way we do it kind of more mirrors the temperature cycle for, for us. So uh, that's why we do it. So just so you know, it's you, know, you can you can wait and call it fall whenever you want. But technically, for weather data and record keeping, tomorrow's the last day of summer. So on Friday, the temperature and rainfall data from there on out counts as fall in our record books, not in summer. And it will at least feel a little bit more like fall. But it won't last. Uh, entering <laughs> yeah. into Labor Day. As you know, if you live in the South, it is not <laughs> fall yet in September. It usually takes until the end of September, but it is football season, so. We're excited about that. And a little bit of Labor Day weekend. That always is kind of the unofficial start or end of summer as well. Um, so again, um, I'm sorry, James, I didn't hear you were talking to me and I'm going to my rant about seasons. <laughs> <laughs> But again, you know, we're in the heart of the peak of the hurricane season, Brittany, you know, um, even though that 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 season of change from, you know, summer to fall is actually right when we're in the peak of hurricane season, because usually this is the time of year the water is the warmest and we have the le least amount of wind shear. What I am going to be interested to see, and I don't know if you've already looked at the data, I feel like you probably have because you're you, <laughs> um, but, you know, upwelling. Oftentimes, yeah. essentially, it happens when a strong hurricane you know, moves over ocean water because it's kind of pulling the water up and it's fueled by that warm water. It will actually bring in some slightly cooler, you know, water temperatures essentially from down below and kind of bring them to the surface. Do you feel like you've noticed if you've even looked at like a significant upwelling? I'm wondering I would if tell it was you moving why too fast. I, I, I was going to say two things I don't think would cause upwelling. The speed and how deep the warm water is in, in the Gulf. So you can see a little hint of maybe some of it, that water's still in the mid 80s. Mm -hmm. So it, this is actually the, the current ocean temperatures and I'll actually play it so I can move it. Um, there hasn't been a lot of upwelling there. Yeah. Um, it's just so warm down here and you're right, you're exactly right, the speed, it didn't have time to allow for that upwelling to occur. Um, and with the sun and high pressure back in control and this big heat dome over the middle of the United States, 
that's going to warm right yeah. back up. And you know, of course, because you approved my script. But you know, <laughs> I am actually working on a story. You know, we have our weather IQ stories, and we kind of do like a spinoff kind of uh, about climate IQ. And I'm doing one on warm ocean waters, and that's kind of one of the things that we've been that. talking about was this season in particular. Again, you can't equate you know every single individual event to climate change, but we do know that the warm you know ocean waters have been out there you know pretty much all season. Um, the NOAA expert I was talking to, Brad, said that this like marine heat wave really started in February, pretty much. Yeah. And they're expecting it to potentially last all the way until October. So numbers like this will probably be a little bit more common. Yeah. And while you know you can't say oh 100 degrees and you know off the keys, you know it's just one. Uh, one, th you know, one situation one day is that they're noticing these marine heat waves are happening about 20 times more often than they used to. Yeah, this, so. it's one thing to look at warm water, but this is the anomaly chart. So everywhere you see yellow, orange, or red, that's above normal for this time of the year. Even for the hottest time of the year in the Atlantic, the main development region, which we call the MDR, the warm, look how much above average it is out here. So there's only a couple spots where it's cooler than average, I mean, these, these marine heat waves, I mean, you talk about, look at the Arctic. I mean, it's, it's a global phenomenon. You can see El Nino clearly mm -hmm. in the Pacific, but it's just crazy how warm this water is. And as you mentioned earlier, you need roughly about 80 degrees. I mean, you can kind of sometimes get a storm in the upper 70s, but 80 degrees is all you need. So anything that's in the mid and upper 80s, and in some cases 90s, that's like off the charts. Um, Chris Jackson, I know, was uh, heading down uh, downtown Charleston, and he joined us earlier, He's, he was stopped, and there's a bunch of people hanging out in downtown Charleston, it looks like. They're probably looky-loos or sightseers kind of checking out the water. Uh, Chris, are you down there? Are you back with us? Yeah, So what's absolutely, going on James. Uh, yeah, so what, what, a lot of the people you're seeing on the sidewalk here looks like college uh, college Charleston oh, kids. That's, oh, uh, my goodness. A couple They're out of school, man. <laughs> Got out of yeah. school. <laughs> huh. It's a, it's a bunch of younger kids. There's a couple, I uh, guess, bars or clubs uh, opened up uh, up the street, and well, they were just hanging out. <laughs> That's interesting. I think that just goes to show you a college student's mindset. Yeah. He doesn't watch this because he doesn't go on Facebook, <laughs> but my younger brother, I was telling Brad this, um, he just started law school at Florida State. He went to Florida State, so of course he was in Tallahassee. So I was keeping him updated on the storm, things like that. Um, and I talked to him earlier just to check in, make sure he still had power. And he's like, yeah, it wasn't that bad. And I'm like, <laughs> Have you seen the damage across Tallahassee? Yeah. There was a, you know, an oak that fell in portions of the governor's mansion. I mean, this was an intense storm for even areas in Tallahassee that were significantly far inland. So I think oh, that's yeah. just a college student's mindset. You know? Yeah. I mean, there's always, you know, I've, you've lived in Florida. I lived in Louisiana. You know, hurricane parties are kind of the norm. That's kind of the way. Because what happens is, you know, you bought all these supplies. You can't go anywhere. So what do people do? Kind of hang out and get together. I mean, yeah. so... You don't, don't eat all your snacks right away. Just but it's <laughs> interesting because you almost have like a, but then a 180 on the other side. Yeah. Because wouldn't you say that, and I know, I have personal, you know, family and friends, of course, who are dealing with the same thing. But then you get like the other side where you have a storm like Ian last year. Yeah. And, you know, I used to work at Wink News in southwest Florida. That was the station that actually flooded. Um, and, you know, I have a lot of family friends down there that had a lot of hurricane anxiety, I think, this yeah. year because of Ian La in kind of a comparison. It was nothing like that, but they still had a decent amount of storm surge and things yep. like that. So you have, like, the one hand where it's someone who hasn't been impacted, mm -hmm. um, who, you know, is like, hurricane party, let's eat snacks. And you have the other that you're almost, like, trying to, you know, make them feel better about, yeah. you know, not every storm's the same. It's doesn't, Just because it happened last year doesn't mean it's going to happen again. But, yeah, it is unfortunate because that does happen. And people, it, we're human, and so is you can tell everybody to your blue in your face it's going to be a bad storm. But until you personally experience it, mm -hmm. most people don't take it seriously. And I have found 
unfortunately through personal experience that people they will they won't evacuate they won't leave because nothing's happened and then the one storm that does hit them they're the first ones out of town they are they do not mess with another storm after that and you hope people learn from that that's why i tell people it's like just because it didn't happen to you if you have a friend who's like hey it happened to me you got to get out use their experiences to your advantage um because this this way that's part of the price of living at the coast um it you know people love to live at the beach it's a beautiful area i think of people it's a dream but one of the you know penalties of living there is you're going to have to evacuate probably about four times for no reason and the fifth time will be for that reason that's it's like snow here you know they cancel school and it's nothing well they do that every time because it's that one time they don't do it that it's going to be really bad and kids will be trapped so yeah. um you kind of do those things for the times that it does happen and it's just it's just part of the rules of living at, at the coast you're going to have to evacuate and it's not always going to be bad but you got to leave just in case it is. Yeah, and I think it goes back to evacuation orders is like, you know, heating them when they do happen, but you know, if you're in a state, especially like Florida that has so many inland communities, that if you don't have to leave, yeah. it's sometimes a good thing if you don't because then you're clogging up the roads, you know, and things yeah, like well, that. Yeah, well, it's always about the order of how you evacuate. Mm -hmm. People are like, "Well, should we evacuate?" Well, you got to get the most vulnerable people out first so the people inland can't block their escape route, and then you work your way back from the coast because we ran into this a lot in Louisiana where there would be one evacuation for the barrier islands and everyone in them would start evacuating clogging the roads and not allowing those people to get out which they were the most vulnerable mm -hmm. so we saw that in Myrtle Beach I remember during Matthew I told talking to Brad about this it was my first you know full-time hurricane and we had that with um, a little bit of 95 and 501 and things like that where you know they were doing the whole like closing it down and you know putting yeah, them both leaving the contra beach contraflow yeah <laughs> they were you know, it was just so many people on the roads because people were like trying to get out of there because there hadn't been a storm in so long. And it's like, well, these people, you know, in Polly's Island and Merle's Inlet, you know, in Charleston and stuff, they got, you know, if they're trying to be told to leave, they got to go before, you know, the people in Columbia and Charlotte. Yeah. So our Richard Devane has actually been in Charleston um, for a while. He has uh, been there all day. He's going to be there all night and through the morning hours. And uh, he sent us uh, kind of some information and a little bit of stories about what he's seen in and around the harbor area because he's been at the aquarium and the battery um, and uh, Richard's got a little uh, story to tell us right now. Yeah, guys, I just want to show you the scene right here in downtown Charleston. You see the flashing lights. That's symbolic of what's all over the city. Police officers, Charleston police officers trying to make sure that folks don't drive into areas like this flooded streets. We're on Market Street. That's a place if you've ever been to Charleston, you know where they have the open market totally underwater right now as you can see by this officer seeing how deep it is and this is just one of the many streets in the downtown area that is underwater the best advice we've been hearing all day is to stay away uh stay inside and wait for the waters to recede which should be a couple of hours after all the rain that comes from this tropical storm actually stops the most important thing you should know is stay home don't get in it and definitely don't drive. We actually saw some folks who took to the waters. They were actually walking through it. We asked them why. Yeah, we're just checking out the water. It's always really fun to check out the water. So it's pretty crazy right over there. It's got a good current coming in from the ocean. And I guess that's okay. But again, uh, officials are saying that the best advice for anyone is to not try to drive tonight. You know our Brad Panovich, Larry Sprinkle always say, turn around, don't drown. And in the best case for you today, if somebody's in uptown Charleston or downtown Charleston, if you will, just stay home. Wait for all this to these waters to recede. We're right here in Charleston. This is Richard Vang for WCNC Charlotte. 
So yeah, Richard saw quite a bit of that flooding tonight. 9.23, I think, was the exact water level, which is the fifth highest level in Charleston Harbor. And it's Jared, we talked to Jared um, Smith earlier, you know, those records down there, unlike Myrtle Beach, I think only goes back to like the 1980s. Um, that's actually a tornado warning for somewhere in North Carolina. Oh yeah, it's Brunswick, yeah. Brunswick. so that's over by um, oh, in Myrtle Ori Beach. County, yeah, so it's right on the border. Um, that's oh, that cell you were just talking about, this one right here. Yeah, right that there. Band. Um, hmm. Anyways, he was telling us about that, you know, the records in, in Charleston go back to like the 1920s. Yeah, it <laughs> so, was because they moved, I believe, the Myrtle Beach and North Myrtle Beach. Um, yeah, uh, well, the it's at the pier, is, and the yeah. pier's been destroyed so many times. So, Jared, <laughs> talk a little bit about that um, that water level. And one of the things, I, it was a great question, I think I take it for granted, you know, this mean water heights, like what do these things mean? Like MLLW and uh, yeah. people see these acronyms, which we love in the, in the weather enterprise. Um, what, what does that mean? And what is this? You know, people think nine feet. Well, that doesn't seem that bad. What is that in relation to? So to kind of put in perspective that people can understand. Yeah. So those are in mean, lower, low water. So you basically take the low level and that's nine feet basically above that low level. Now, um, if you look at inundation, which is mean higher high water, and 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 again, this is kind of like that, the kind of like that record low maximum. It's like, why are we talking about? <laughs> why do we talk it like like that? But uh, when you look at that as far as inundation above ground level, then you start getting in the two two and a half foot range there. So there's multiple ways to do this. Uh, the record keeping typically is done in mean lower low water. Uh, because also you can get blowout tides as well. There are far fewer records for blowout tides than there are for uh, coastal flood tides, but we do have a few of those as well. And it's important for navigational purposes as well. Uh, you know, you want to know if you're going to scrape the bottom of your boat. And so that's uh, and kind of an easy way to do that. Yeah. And uh, the way I always like to put it in, in perspective too for people is like, you know, nine feet above sea level. I mean, that's like one story, you know, like a one story is 10 feet, right? So that's like the whole lowest level of a house that's at the beach or at, at sea level. Um, and, and many of these carries we're talking about, they're either at or in some cases below sea level, which is, that gets all crazy stuff. Because when I lived in New Orleans, you would have like negative numbers. And people like, say, why is it negative? Louisiana it's like, well, because the city's like 12 level. feet below sea level. So you'd have some crazy numbers. So the water's actually going down but jared do you think the next tide cycle with the king tides and still some onshore flow likely that we might have or will the front push things out and we'll get the offshore do you think there'll still be high water with the next tide cycle probably so i, I think we're going to see some high water maybe through friday maybe even to saturday uh, again the water loading is you know it's tough, it's tough to measure that stuff too yeah. um the tide forecast is one of the hardest things to do here uh i've uh you know uh, gotten to know our weather service folks locally, and uh, that's the thing they agonize over probably the most of many, many parameters that they have to for forecast for. So, you know, we're going to hopefully get some offshore wind uh, to help blow at least some of this water out, but then uh, high pressure, if it decides, you know, we're going to backdoor in, we're going to wedge back in, that northeast flow is very, very conducive to even more flooding. So uh, taking a look, actually, I'm going to peek at the the water level forecast here real quick. And yeah, it looks like, um, you know, the, the weather service is forecasting that we're back in the minor to moderate flood, really, pretty much every high tide wow. uh, starting tomorrow evening That's, for at least the next few days. Yeah. 
I mean, it's like normally when you see the king tides, it's not a one day thing. It's usually like a week long of, of high tides because the, the moon is, is just pulling so much. And when that water comes up, the low tides don't go out as low. And so that means the next tide comes higher. So it's a, it is a cycle. That's a difficult thing to forecast. I always find it's fascinating with tides because how you can be on like a stretch of the, of the coast in different areas. The tide comes in at different times and different levels. And um, it is it's pretty crazy. We do want to mention there is a tornado warning for Brunswick and Horry County. And I'm looking at this cell, Brittany, it is a nasty storm. It has got a very strong couplet. Um, North Myrtle Beach area, uh, I'm looking at um, Folk Beach and then north of Cherry Grove. So that's not too far from the border. So just down from like Calabash there, yeah. That is um, a really strong couplet. That, that might be not a weak little tornado that might be pretty significant yeah and if you of course know that area at all you know um cherry grove you know spring made pier you know things yeah. like that those are big piers you know that are you know that are places that people here you know who vacation out there um definitely go to a lot uh yeah i mean you get the heavy rain you get the east side the northeast quadrant of the storm and these you know sometimes nocturnal you know tropical uh, tornadoes oftentimes you know can pop up but thankfully with this one it does look like that rotation has been there for a little bit yeah. uh, that was the storm that we were talking about you know almost 15 minutes ago that had some of that rotation so uh, hopefully this has been something that their local meteorologists have been watching and that um people are heeding those warnings it looks like there's a little bit of a debris signature yeah it, up there. it just came into like the cherry grove point area um, i'm looking at right there um it does look like a little debris signature just as it hit the beach. Maybe it's picking up some debris. Mm -hmm. um, but that, again, tornado warning in that area. And that's what you expect to see these offshore and starting to see those warnings um, as they come in. So that was a nasty looking storm. Yeah. Did we want to see if we So yeah, Dan. I was going to say Dan's in Myrtle Beach. Uh, Dan, I don't know if you're watching that couplet, but that is a pretty strong little couplet there uh, up near Cherry Grove. Yeah, uh, as you can see, kind of my angle is actually kind of looking towards that line of storms right now, trying to see it uh, within the clouds, but I cannot. So I'm yeah. thinking about kind of possibly going out that way uh, to take a look and see what's going on. I'm probably only 15 minutes up the road from it. So, yeah, that whole line's coming in. It's got some spinning in yeah. it. You make a good point, Dan, about the fact that you can't see. Um, you know, a lot of times during the day, you know, when there, you know, you have got light out, you know, we yeah. can we can get these debris signatures. We can get, you know, a couplet showing up on velocity. But then oftentimes it's like the people on the ground, the viewer at home, you know, while we're always pushing the near me function who are saying, I'm seeing X, I'm seeing Y. Yeah. Um, but it's hard to see, of course, at night, which is why nocturnal tornadoes. We hope for like a lightning strike or yeah. something that illuminates. <laughs> mm -hmm. So you can see things. So. But yeah, the, over the water might be your best chance to see it before it, it comes ashore. How are the waves at? I'm looking at those waves, Dan. Those are pretty big waves. Uh, are they, is that water coming all the way up to the dunes and the end of the beach there? Yeah, it looks like it's coming up just right before the dunes. But the, um, wow, what you can really cool. see here is uh, uh, a testament of how big these waves are as they hit the um, the pier. Wow, uh, they're coming big. up just right underneath it. Uh, I bet you every now and then if I watch close enough, it, there's waves topping it. But they're they're really smacking up against it. It's definitely a very, very rough ocean. No yeah. doubt about that. It, it, it's, if you told me that was Myrtle Beach, I'd say no way. Those are huge waves. Yeah, the surfers are. probably would be loving it right now if it wasn't so dangerous out there because those are, you're actually getting some tubes, you're getting some big turnover, and they're coming in. It looks like the wave period's pretty short, too. Mm -hmm.
Um, I feel like beach danger is also something that we should at least mention yeah. you know, going into Labor Day weekend. Oh, absolutely. There was the moderate to kind of high rip current risk, you know, over the last weekend because of Franklin. And now, of course, we have the storm. Um, you know, I know Jared and, of course, Dan have mentioned it, too. You know, based on what happens with the high tide, how much wind, if there's water coming up. Um, if you do have plans to head to the coast this weekend, it won't be like maybe the best forecast just because of the beach issues, but yeah. it won't be that bad in terms of like rain and storms, but make sure you're heating those beach warning flags. Um, if there's a double red, if there's a red, you know, enjoy your time, but try to do it safely. Yeah, the rip currents will be pretty bad this weekend just because of the high tides. What happens is when the water's higher and it comes over the sandbars, it starts creating a lot more rip currents. And then we're gonna have, even though um, Edelia is gonna be offshore and weaker, it's still gonna be generating some swells because it'll be near, near Bermuda through Sunday. So we're gonna have rip currents and, you know, pay attention to those beach flags, you know, by the lifeguard stand. If you see a, you know, red um, or, you know, sometimes purple, that's for your know, marine life uh, out there, maybe you got jellyfish or sharks, but, you know, pay attention to those flags. They tell you a lot about how dangerous the water is. Sometimes they won't let you go in at all, sometimes only up to your knees or your waist. Yeah, and I think normally um, one of the big things that the National Weather Service folks there really push is try to go to a beach with a lifeguard. Person. Absolutely. That's your best bet. And if you're if you're taking the kids, pay attention to them. Just be very careful and watch them. Um, well, we're going to go back to Charleston. Chris Jackson's down there, and uh, he's got some water now on the streets in Charleston. Um, we were talking about the water going down, but it's still you know it's way above normal. It's like eight eight or seven feet still, and that's still way above the normal water level. So you're seeing some of the water down there. Um, I do think it's interesting how Market Street, which is kind of notorious for flooding, has actually didn't, done pretty well because of some infrastructure updates. It looks like they got the street blocked off down there. Wow, that is some pretty significant oh, yeah. water. Um, yeah, so it looks like Charleston Police Department is keeping people out of that area um, with the water. It is, it is nice yeah, Brad, to see. Brad, can you hear me? Yeah, go ahead, Chris. Yeah, I was going to tell you, I just uh, spoke to that Charleston uh, PD officer right there and uh, got to talking with him. And he said a lot of the peninsula is still south of where I, I guess, uh, uh, closer to the harbor from where I am. I'm at uh, Calhoun and East Bay Street. Okay, yeah. And he said a lot of the peninsula still has need to hit deep water in it. Wow. And they're, in a, they're expecting about another two hours uh, for some of this water to get out of here. And, you know, it shouldn't but, uh, be as much he, of an issue. He now. did say that, that he, he wasn't aware of anybody injured. They didn't have to you know, rescue anybody that he was aware of. That's always good to hear. I mean, you're hoping, I mean, so far it seems like most people have been taking this storm mm -hmm. seriously in the Carolinas and not taking it for granted because um, the one thing we've learned with these storm surges, you know, Isaias and some of these other storms, they surprise people. They catch people off guard because they're like, oh, it's a weak system and then water comes up. I remember Isaias and Oak Island, um, basically nobody got hurt and everyone's homes are okay, but a lot of cars got flooded because everyone's cars would park. And, you know, most of those houses are on stilts and the water came underneath, but it, it washed a, a bunch of cars into each other and damaged mm -hmm. them. So um, I think people have learned a lesson like, hey, don't, even weak storms, we know the storm surge is gonna be an issue. And, you know, Charleston's got some serious water there. You're gonna see probably most of the city closed down tomorrow. A lot of schools canceled in that area. Even in our area, we've had some school cancellations like in Chesterfield, Lancaster, Anson, Richmond counties. Or going um, virtual, things like yeah, that. Yeah, and, and, and a lot of people say, oh, it's not that bad here. Hey, the fact that you can go virtual, why even take a chance? And that's something we didn't have yeah, <laughs> growing up. Yeah, definitely I think we probably would have school canceled a lot more because if you know you have that option to go virtual and you could still get some learning, I know it's not perfect, it's better than just in what the state does. It, it counts as an educational day either way, um, so you don't lose a day. But it, it is something I think it's easier for school systems to say, you know what, we're going to be super safe even if it's a slight chance of some wind or some rain, 
we can go virtual and let's do it. Yeah, so. and we saw them do that too, you know, in a lot of counties, you know, over the winter too, yeah. you know, with like potential ice and things like that. Yeah, you would hope that with the flooded roads that there'd be probably less people out on the road at 10, 20 at night. Yeah. Um, but a good reminder that when you see those barricades, the cops, whatever oh, it is, yes. you don't know how deep that is. Um, uh, did you see the Twitter videos of that huge snake in the yep. Florida oh. you know, waterways? We talk about there's can be gators, there can be yeah. snakes, there can be fire ants in those flood waters. So never drive through them. Yeah, it's Please just not just it's not it. worth it. You know, at night it's just super dangerous. I, you don't you don't know what's below there. And you know, once your muffler gets underwater, um, you're, the car's shutting down, and yeah. then you're really trapped. Even if the car doesn't get swept away. And and the thing about that water, that's salt water. Okay, <laughs> that you do not want that getting in or on your car um, because that is going to cause. I mean, talk about frying everything electrical. You're not recovering from that once you get salt water. And what is it? It's like six inches can start to float some small cars. Like yep. 12 inches can float some larger ones. Yep. And it's like eight, less than 18 can, I mean, do a, a truck. So truck. you think of those big, big, big trucks. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what, not like a quarter of the water that they're saying. Yeah. And, right and Chris now. said that was what, Chris, you said that was knee and hip high in some cases. Yeah. The, uh, the police officer just come out of the water. His uh, waders were still wet. And uh, he said that's about knee deep right there in that intersection, uh, as it is right now. Wow. And uh, let me see if I can get my camera here. You can see it's probably receded. Oh, yeah. Uh, maybe two, two and a half feet. And let's be honest, if you're looking at that. That does would, not look knee deep. Yeah, would you, exactly. I was just going to say, <laughs> would you think that's knee deep? No, that's a good example nope. of why you don't drive into it, because it doesn't look deep, but it is. Oh, my God. Yeah, and not to mention, Brad, like, uh, you know, we talk about a lot, especially with floodwaters, you know, the dangers of getting out and swimming in them, you know, or, or just wading around in flood water. And you can look at the result of that, you know, the, even though this is salt water, not a uh, flash flood, look at all the debris and everything yeah. else that's on top of the water. I mean, it's, it's just nasty. It smells nasty and uh, it's, it's full of all kinds of bacteria. So, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, that's ugh. Yeah, and you think like the wind can also bring down, you know, trees and power lines. Oh, yeah. Power the whole power line just, issue, that freaks me out, too. Just, Whenever I see water like that, it's one getting in there. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you get cars and homes, especially when there's flooding. Um, you see it's a lot, the chemicals in the home, uh, petroleum, everything else. Chris is right. That water is like, it's not water anymore. It's like a toxic sludge of everything that's coming out of houses mm -hmm. and stuff, especially when homes and stuff get flooded. It's like when you um, see during the winter where like people are like eating icicles oh, in their yeah. homes no, and no, we're no, like, no. you don't know how no, 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 many no, no. bird droppings <laughs> yeah. there are on your roof and things like that. All um, those chemicals. Are but yeah, you can out. see it's a great, that's a great video, Chris. You can actually see how high it was earlier. It was actually a lot worse. The water has receded quite a bit, um, but it's a slow. I mean, cause you gotta think this is going out as slow as a tide would. So it's going to take quite a while and then we'll see what the high tide tomorrow does it might come right back up uh, at least in some of these areas maybe not as high uh, but that offshore wind we need that wind to swing around to the northwest <laughs> that would help push some of this water out of there you mentioned the wind brad uh, there, it's really weird because you know with the storm being up up the coast down north of charleston it doesn't feel like there's a whole lot of wind here in the peninsula but i also understand i'm going about buildings out here but yeah. man the, the humidity i haven't looked at any observations but it feels like the dew point's got to be like 75 or 80 out here. Yeah, you're kind of like in the center or just outside of what is left of the center. I'm looking at the dew point down there. Uh, oh, it's 79. That's uh, glorious. Oh <laughs> yeah, I, I knew it had to be warm. You know, I've been in South Carolina my whole life. But when when it's uh, 79 degrees outside and I just start sweating for no reason, yeah. uh, it's, it's, it's human. It's 79 over 79, Chris. <laughs> yeah, it's like you think that you took a shower, but then you walk outside. Um, Mother Nature's giving you another shower. Yeah, the wind's only five knots there, but your pressure's 990 millibars. So, <laughs> yeah. Right. 
you're pretty low. It looks like uh, this. I'm trying to find the center. I'm looking for the lowest pressure I can find. 992, 99. Boy, you might be in the center. That's some. Of, that's one of the lower pressure readings down in downtown Charleston. And of course, with storms moving over land, you know, it's hard to even see where the center is sometimes yeah. because they just kind of weaken and kind of fall apart there. Um, because I mean, uh, yeah, that's that's Dahlia's nasty. That's almost 80 degree dew point and light winds. Uh, yeah, it looks like a little bit of spin. That could be where the center is. Yeah, it might be a broad. It looks somewhere in that area. It's somewhere around here. Yeah, there's not much <laughs> rain, which makes it kind of interesting. Uh, Chris, thanks. Stay safe and uh, have a safe drive home as you get back to the, the Columbia area in the Midlands. Um, we're going to wrap it up for now because we're going to get ready for the 11 o'clock news. We'll have an update. Uh, 11 o'clock update will come in. It'll have a new um, track and a new update on where um, Edai. I'm coming, I mean, like, Idalia. We were talking about Isaias. I, I know, I was just thinking of Isaias. I almost said Isaias. Um, these eye storms, you know, why get these weird eye storms? We've retired so many of the names, they're having to find new eye names, and you're running out of them. Yes, and so, we, of course, always talk about it. it's English, Spanish, French yeah. combinations. So it's so, not all English names. So, yeah, you're starting to get more obscure eye names because every time we retire one, you've got to go find another eye name from either French, English, or Spanish dialects. And so, yeah, this one will be retired. Um, I almost guarantee we'll see this one retired as yeah. well. So should we end our stream by showing the IQ, weather IQ on eye names? Yeah, because I think this is important. There's something in the letter I. I think it's um, the time of year. <laughs> It, it, well, you're right. It is a time of year. It's right in the peak of the season, but especially in the Gulf Coast area, there's something about eye names. It is the number one retired name, and Chris Mulcahy went back and looked at this, and it's pretty amazing. Idalia will be the first hurricane to make landfall in the United States in 2023, and it's backing up this trend. To beware of the eye names during hurricane season. Storms beginning with the letter I have been retired more than any other letter. 14 times total, and 12 of those were since the year 2000. Idalia will be the fourth I name in the last four years to make landfall in the United States. Isaias was the earliest I name on record in 2020, forming in July, and the last two I name retirees were recently historic. Ida hit Louisiana in 2021, coincidentally on the same date as Katrina. It reversed the Mississippi River's flow briefly and had sustained winds of 150 miles per hour. Ian in 2022 was the costliest hurricane in Florida history and the third costliest in the United States. Peaking as a Category 5, making landfalls a strong Category 4, Ian's storm surge at 13.8 feet in Fort Myers Beach is the highest recorded in Southwest Florida in the past 150 years. Of the 14 I-names retired, 13 of them have been major hurricanes, which is Category 3 or stronger. Five have peaked to Category 5, six to Category 4, and two Category 3s. So why I? It's all about timing. Over the last 30 years, the number nine storm, I, averages an appearance around September 16th, right around the peak of hurricane season. Also, peak tropical activity is close to the United States at this time. So regardless of being retired or not, Idalia will still be historic. Idalia will be the eighth major hurricane to make landfall in the United States since 2010 and the 40th major landfall since 1954, where 87% of those names were retired. I'm meteorologist Chris Mulcahy with WCNC Charlotte.